Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today, there is no guest. Well, I guess you are the guest. I asked for questions on Twitter. And I'll say this, if you're listening to this and you want me to answer questions on another episode of the show, just uh, hit me on Twitter, at Brian Koppelman, or email me, themomentbk at gmail.com. Look, this is a strange time for all of us. And I'm not claiming to have even many of the uh, answers for how to get through this. I know what I'm trying. I know what I'm thinking about. I know how I'm preparing for each day. Uh, I know the routines I'm forcing myself to be in, and I'm happy to talk about those at any time if you'd like me to. And I'm happy to answer whatever questions in the hope that they'll at worst be distracting from whatever you're dealing with, and at best, that they'll be perhaps slightly helpful in some way. So I'm going to start with a question from Twitter. Well, I guess I'll I'll talk in a little bit about what my routine is right now. I, a friend of mine, a really successful, creatively successful writer, not a best-selling writer, but a writer who works, gets paid to, to write for a very sort of high-level magazines as high level as, as you can imagine wrote me sort of jokingly said that they could really use a Wendy Rhodes in their life right now to kind of kick them uh, into gear creatively and I started thinking about that question and I, I wrote back and I said um, well you know that I co-write or write a lot of those Wendy Rhodes scenes and this person said yeah that's why I was writing you. I said it jokingly, but also, how are you thinking about this? How do I figure out what to write about? What matters right now? And I think we can, we have so much time in a way to, to think now, to look at our situation and take it in that it can set us, it can set us asking unanswerable questions and it can set us really off in circles. But I do understand the the ways in which it can feel either pointless or it can feel um, useless, or you might just feel like with all with with this kind of time or with this amount of being alone, there's so much pressure to create that it's hard. So I'll tell you one thing I've been doing. I've been songwriting a lot. Now, uh, I love to write songs. It's something I'd work at to try to get better at. But I've been you know, I never have held myself out as a world-class songwriter or anything like that. It's just something that I, I love to do. When I do it, I, I work really hard at it, meaning I'm trying each time to write the very best song that I can, to think about every line, to keep working on the melody until I think I can't do any better. But I've been trying to write a song every few days, and then I've been trying to post clips of that to my Instagram. And I got some positive feedback on it, but which is great um, and was kind of unexpected, but that's not really the, the point of it at all. The, the point of it to me is it's a hard creative thing to do that has no real personal or professional stakes for me. Meaning if I never write a song that's good enough to be sung, yes, that by anybody great, that'll be somewhat disappointing, but only in the same way that not winning 
you know, a, a hand of blackjack would be disappointing. Or maybe, you know, I've put in a lot of time, so maybe a little more than that. But I don't have pressure on myself to be a great songwriter. But when I do the songwriting, when I pick up my guitar and make myself finish a song, when I've accomplished that, it makes me remember that I can be uh, active creatively. I can be like a creative force of some sort. There was nothing there. And then an hour later, or honestly, like today, I, um, I worked for a very long time writing a song. But at the end of that time, something that didn't exist before exists. There's a verse, uh, a chorus, another verse, maybe a bridge, another chorus. There's some pre-choruses in there. And I'll tell you, when I'm in a groove like that, when I'm, when I'm just creating something, it enables me to do the creativity that I'm paid to do, that I have to do, that the, the pressure's on much easier. You know why? Because I'm in a flow state because I've forced myself to get thinking again like an artist, not like someone hiding out, not like someone worried about. Yeah, I have those anxieties. I have those worries. I want my family to be safe. Uh, my father's 80 years old. I don't want him to get COVID. I don't want to get COVID. But if I can get myself somehow moving. So if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that means I wake up and I meditate. I certainly have the Royale, my first cup of coffee of the day. I meditate for 20 minutes. I do three longhand morning pages. I try to do some kind of exercise. Today, I did an hour of hard cardio. Hard for me, probably easy for most of you, but I did an hour of really hard cardio. And I worked on uh, writing stuff for the show, and I worked on writing this song and trading off between the work I had to do and the songwriting made me feel like I was working from a pretty alive place. And when I say this stuff, I don't want you to think it means that it's an instant solve or that I won't lie in bed tonight and have those same worries or that I won't feel like a fraud or like I'm not really an artist. Look, during many hours of the day, all those thoughts can sneak in. The key is building a practice that allows you to do whatever your work is from the most creative place you have uh, to build a practice that allows you to work from that place for enough time a day that you can do something productive, that you can gain some momentum, that you can have the feeling of progressing. And that's what I work at. And that's what all these different sort of um, approaches or attacks um, I take, give me. And so uh, that's a long way to answer a question from a friend. And as I said to that person, if normally you're an essay writer, try writing a short story because you won't have stakes. You won't feel like you have to equal the best essay you ever wrote or the best article that ever appeared in a glossy mag. If you're writing a story, you're um, locking into that place that made you want to be a creative person to begin with. And I think there's something powerful in that. Okay, I'm going to go to the next question. I can't believe somebody actually, okay, uh, Lenny Jacobson, I'm going to shout you out on here. Lenny, you asked me if there's going to be a Rounders sequel. Oh, because somebody, he says somebody heard that there is a Rounders sequel script floating around. 
Lenny, someone was um, fucking with you, man. I wish uh, that we had written the script. And and because I get asked this every single Q and A on on that I ever do anywhere, and by almost every interviewer, let me just say that all of us would love to find a way to continue that story, but no one's been able to really come to us with any sort of a path toward getting the rights, getting paid to do it. So for now, the Rounder sequel looks like it's not happening right now. Okay, George O'Connor, maker of things, asked me on Twitter, when looking at a new writer's script, what's something forgivable people spend too much time worrying about? And what's more important than a writer thinks? Well, even the question, George, uh, to me, has too much assumed learning, assumed knowledge kind of baked into it. I have no idea what people worry about too much. I know that when I was trying to break in, I wasn't thinking of it in terms of trying to break in. What I was thinking about was, what's the most compelling way I can tell, and when I say I, it's David, and I mean, David and I wrote that script as we make billions together, David Levine, my lifelong best friend and creative partner. Um, but we were thinking about what's the most compelling way to tell this story. And I, so I, I like to w- reduce this down. When I, when I get a, a, a writing sample from somebody, what I'm, you know, if I'm, if Dave and I are looking to hire for the writer's room, we are reading a script and we are, we are coming to it uh, completely ready to be entertained. And all you have to do is make us want to keep reading, keep finding out what's going to happen next, keep wondering who these characters are that we're becoming fascinated by. And I'd say a way to do that is make sure to ask questions, uh, of your characters and of your story early that keeps me wanting to find out the answers as I go. Even that though, as I say, it sounds like, I don't know that I'm writing if I'm really even consciously doing that. What I'm trying to do and what I think you ought to try to do is tell the story in the most compelling, entertaining, engaging, and gripping way you can. All of us know how to do that. All of us know how. If you think about on your bed, You on your best night, you at your best moment when you wanted to impress somebody or get their attention or show them that you were special, you told us one of the ways, you almost definitely one of the ways you did that was by telling a story. By telling a story that has an inciting incident, meaning, okay, this crazy thing happened. Now I have your attention. What happened? Guys, there uh, there was a flying yo-yo that hit me in the head. A yo-yo hit you in the head? Where? Well, all right, let me back up. Now I'm telling you a story. Now I will tell you a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? A a beginning about walking down the street, whatever was going on in my day. Then the yo-yo hits me. We're back to our inciting incident. Then now I have to find out how that happened. I climbed up a fire escape where I thought it was, but I walked in the door. And when I walked in the door, you're not going to fucking believe who was... I figured it would be some kid with a yo-yo. You're not going to fucking believe what I walked into. And even now, you know I just made that up on the spot. You want to know what I walked into. Why? Inciting incident, beginning, middle, and then I would take you through to the end. And really, that is all that you have to do. That's very, it's hard to do because it's hard to get out of our own way when we're writing on the page. My mom taught me this when I was really young, and it's the best writing lesson I ever had. Write like you talk, meaning think, don't try to be fancy. Don't try to follow some rules. Keep me engaged. Keep the reader wanting to know what 
happens next. Okay, Nick Lawless asked me this question. What is the best life advice you have ever received? You know, my mom's advice about writing wasn't bad. It goes with my dad's advice when I was confessing to him and I was scared that I wanted to be a writer and not live another kind of life. And uh, I felt maybe he'd be disappointed or he'd be worried for his son who could have a regular kind of career. And he just said to me, well, if you want to write, write. Um, I think probably... I'm going to answer this completely earnestly. Choosing your spouse, your life partner is probably the most important choice you can make. And I chose right in that area. And then I married a person who's, uh, Amy, who's been on this podcast, who, uh, without whom, like really and truly, I have no idea the direction my life would have gone off into. And I think coupled with that is the idea that uh, loyalty to those uh, to whom you've pledged it uh, is about the most important thing uh, on earth. And and again, I try to answer that question. I mean, the truth is, as I'm thinking about it, like there's a million things about fatherhood that I learned from my dad. And to me, there's nothing more important than being a father. I don't think, okay, let's really, let's really disambiguate this. I don't really think there is one piece of advice like that. I mean, you know, be a good person and try your best to lift others up. Uh, there's professional advice. You know, always try to not be the smartest person in the room. Surround yourself with people smarter than you. That's another real good one. Uh, there's a lot of these that make a lot of sense, um, but it's hard to distill it down into just one. I mean, I think the chorus of Jason Isbell's outfit is uh, a damn good one, actually. and. He'll be on the podcast, uh, I think, next week. And I got to say, it's uh, the song is like a, a kid and his, his dad's saying, don't call what you're wearing an outfit. Don't ever say your car is broke. Don't worry about losing your accent. A Southern man tells better jokes. Have fun. Stay clear of the needle. Call home on your sister's birthday. Don't tell him you're bigger than Jesus. Don't give it away. Ah, pretty good. I mean, the second chorus substitutes the line, accent line with uh, don't sing with a fake British accent. Don't act like your family's a joke. Eh, there's a lot of truth in that song. Partially why he's my favorite, probably my favorite living uh, songwriter under the age of 60. For sure. Someone asked, what was the trap that Chuck and his dad used to bag the wolf in season two? The trap that all wolves can't avoid? Time. The answer to that one is Time. Uh, you just would have to watch the show and you would know that. All right, here's a really serious question by Stuart Harper. He asked, is there an age at which dreams should be sequestered and forgotten about when one surrenders to mundanity and the rut of the day job? Thinking back to an interview I did somewhere and asking for a friend. Well, look, man, what I always say about this is when people tell you to chase your dreams, they often leave out the other part of it, which is with incredible rigor. And part of being rigorous in the pursuit of something is taking feedback and learning how to process that feedback and what to do with it. Because that feedback can help you redirect yourself back on your path to achieving this thing. So that idea of rigorously 
trying, getting feedback, and adjusting course. Like, okay, if you have to hold down three jobs to keep your family eating, you have to hold down three jobs to keep your family eating. I'm not someone who's trying to fill people with unrealistic, impossible dreams. I will say this. Even 15 minutes a day in rigorous pursuit of something that makes you feel alive helps you to feel alive the rest of the day. I know this from personal experience. And so, no man, if you're 60 years old and you still have the dream of being a juggler in the circus, I'm not telling you to leave your family and join the circus. I am saying maybe get a couple of balls or a couple of bowling pins and for nine minutes a day in the morning and six minutes at night, practice juggling and keep getting better at it. Protect that time and see what it does and what it feels like the rest of the day. But the feedback part is if you're trying to juggle you know, bowling pins, and they keep slipping out of your hands no matter how much you practice. Maybe next time, try juggling sandbags. Like, uh, you can get to the place you're trying to get a, a different way, potentially. I don't know more of your story, Stuart, but that's the best way that I can uh, answer the question right now. Okay. Next question. Nick Abisi, who's been a loyal uh, listener, follower, viewer, asks me to list the top five debut records of the last 30 years. And I just have to say, I can't, Nick. It re require, Nick, I'll do that on Twitter. But I think if you know me the way you do, you know that I will take something like that very seriously. And it'll, I'll just lose days to it. So I, I can't do it right now. The Hold Steady's debut album, pretty mind-bogglingly great. I do think Tracy Chapman's debut album, with which I was involved, is pretty great. That's another question on here, is if I'll tell the Tracy Chapman story. And, and the answer is, I'm not going to tell it again. You can find it if you put my name and her name in. If you put my name, her name, and Rolling Stone magazine in there, Something will come up about like the top 10 albums of the 80s and her debut album is one of them and it tells the story of the way in which we work together. All right, the real Danny A is asking me if there are cast members who have surprised me with a hidden talent I wasn't aware they possessed. Well, it's half an answer. I mean, Condola Rashad is one of the greatest singers on earth. And I mean, I knew she was a Tony-nominated performer on Broadway, and I knew she could sing, but I had no idea she could sing like that. I mean, she's just an incredible singer. Uh, and that was certainly like an awesome and wonderful surprise. All right, someone's asking me how much prep and research I do for the podcast. The answer is I really, really do a lot of it. Um, I, before an interview, I will read as many articles as I can about the person I'll listen to or read or watch their art, and I'll really think about it and try my best to find an angle of attack that's different than the angle of attack that most interviewers take. 
I'm just trying my best to, you know, just trying my best to add value when I do those interviews. And I don't want to waste the time of the person being interviewed. And I don't want to waste, I don't want to waste your time. Christopher Bader emailed themomentbk at gmail.com to ask me when writing a script for TV or streaming, should we be conscious of what network we're writing for? Just one with what we know and write as if none of that matters. Yeah, this gets back to that question. And the only answer I can think of is to write your story the way your story demands to be written. Because all those, you could be writing for a bunch of executives and what you think their taste is. And all of those executives could be fired the very next day. And uh, if you've gone against your best instincts and done that, you're going to feel like you just really wasted your time. So, uh, no, find your story. Think of the truest way you can tell it and tell that story. All right, next. Mark DiCiccio or DiCicco asked me in the Billions Writers Room, who's the person who stands up and says, okay, that might be taking it too far. Uh, that's funny, Mark. I mean, Dave and I are the arbiters of the tone. And if, if we push the thing too far, we can blame no one but ourselves. And if you love the tone of the show, then it's because David and I have our hands on the rudder. You know, you're thinking about tone all the time when you're doing something like this. You're thinking about tone in the way you capture the performances, in the way scenes are staged, in the way the music is laid in, in the editing style. I mean, you're always thinking about the voice and tone of the piece, of the episode, of the scene, and then of where it fits into the whole of the show. And that's being, I mean, that's being a showrunner, being completely uh, aware of it. Henry Kaplan asked me kind of jokingly, what's the Venn diagram look like of people who listen to you on both Pardon My Take and Tim Ferriss? You know, I think both of those shows are incredibly popular. And I love doing, you know, Tim's a longtime friend and uh, Pardon My Take guys are newer friends, but um, I had a great time doing all of their shows. I think that the podcast I did with Tim, uh, I've gotten just incredible reaction from people who were moved by what we talked about. And, and I got to say, the the Pardon My Take guys are so smart and so much fun to talk to. They they really are. Someone asked me, who's not giving their name, who would I have wanted to have on the podcast, but they've they've passed away? It would be David Foster Wallace or Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't think I had the podcast when they were... I know I didn't when Wallace was alive. And I don't think I had the podcast really going when Philip Seymour Hoffman was alive. But man, would I have loved to have gotten the opportunity to talk to him. That would have been... He was... You know, there are few actors who've ever moved me the way Philip Seymour Hoffman moved me. And he's certainly high on the list of people that I wish I'd gotten a chance to work with. And uh, man, stay away from the heroin people. All right. Renee Coronado asked, how much mindfulness do you, your scripts give to the sounds, pacing, and timing? Yeah. You are laying a lot of that stuff out in the script. You're certainly laying out when a sound is heard. You're laying out how people react to stuff. David and I put songs in the script as a way of indicating what the rhythm of the thing uh, ought to be. And 
And you know what, folks? I know this is a short episode of the moment, but I just put the request for questions out. These are ones I thought made sense and might apply beyond just me. Uh, I think this is something I'm going to have to do some of the time during this. You know, I don't, uh, people write me and, and ask me to do the pod. And so I'm going to keep putting them up, whether I have guests or not. Most of the time I'll have guests. If I don't, I'll do this. So feel free to ask me questions anytime. I'm on Twitter. I'm available at the moment, bk at gmail.com. Stay safe. Take care of those you love. As Sturgill Simpson says, 